Good afternoon. So good to see many of you today. If you have your Bibles, please get ready to open it to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through chapter 2, verse 10. Throughout history, various groups of people have considered themselves to be the chosen people of God. This phenomenon through the centuries known as chosenness are based on each group's corresponding claims of Israelite ancestry and their belief of themselves to be the true Israel. From Judaism to Seventh-day Adventists to Mormonism to Mandaism, Rastafarians, the Unification Church, a.k.a. the Moonies, the Nation of Islam, the Maasai religion, the Black Hebrews, and even to Orthodox Christianity, that's us, every group has professed that they have been chosen by God as a special people to fulfill a particular divine purpose. But if so many insist in being the chosen people, what determines who is right and who is wrong? In the wide array of the people who confidently contend their special status as the chosen ones, who will be the last people remaining in the spiritual battlefield of truth of God's election? How do we know what we believe as Christians are legitimate? Why us and not them? We're continuing our study through 1 Peter in our 10-week series, Hope in a Hostile World. And we've been considering how who God is and what Jesus Christ has done, his life, his death, and resurrection transforms us into and defines who we are. We are elect exiles, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. We are followers of Jesus who are scattered pilgrims, yet chosen citizens of heaven, guarded by God's power through faith for a great salvation to be revealed to full degree when Christ returns. Uh, we talked about how we are holy, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. How we ought to fix our minds on future grace on that final day, as we conform all of our conduct as God's children. We are holy because our God is holy. And we reverently fear our Heavenly Father as He lovingly and graciously guides us and disciplines us and sanctifies us for that final day when we will be judged according to our deeds and by his grace and mercy, and we will be one with Christ and all of God's people in heaven. And from today's passage, we are a chosen people. We are a chosen people. So this afternoon, from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 through chapter 2, verse 10, I want to share with you five characteristics, five characteristics of God's chosen people. Here's the outline so you can follow. God's chosen people are, point number one, loving people from verses 22 through 25 of chapter one. Point number two, a growing people from chapter two, verse one through three. Point number three, Christ-like people from chapter two, verse four and five. Point number four, humbly obedient people from verses six through eight. And fifth and finally, gospel-proclaiming people, verses 9 through 10. A loving people, a growing people, Christ-like people, humbly obedient people, and gospel-proclaiming people. I pray that this message will newly remind believers here today that we are who we are only by God's great mercy. And I pray that you will be encouraged and edified knowing what honor we have as God's people. If you are new to Christianity and joining us as a visitor today, I pray that what I share describing God's people will be found evident in this very local congregation 
And that as a result, we will point you to the reason why we are this way, our good and gracious Lord Jesus Christ. So now let's turn to our passage, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 through chapter 2, verse 10, will be found on page 1014 and 15 of the Blue Bibles around you. In fact, if you do not own a Bible yourself, please take one of those Blue Bibles as a gift from us to help you study God's Word, and let one of us know that you are taking it so we can assist in any way. If you are new to reading the Bible, again, the large numbers are the chapter numbers, the small numbers are the verse numbers, so 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 through chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory, like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourself like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you are not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What is the characteristic of God's chosen people? Point number one, we are a loving people, according to verse 22 through verse 25 of chapter one. Look with me there again. In verses 22 and 23, it says this, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Brothers and sisters, it should not be a surprise to anyone, especially to Christians, that we who claim to be God's chosen people ought to be marked by sincere and earnest love for one another. Amen? Peter is reminding Christians that loving one another is the result and the purpose of our salvation. Let me say it this way. The goal and purpose of the Christian conversion for us to be transformed from darkness to marvelous light is genuine love for believers. Jesus said it this way in John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So examine yourself right now. Do you do this? Are you loving one another, fellow Christians, earnestly, sincerely, genuinely? And the way in which we do this, the way in which we love one another, is not something we can conjure up on our own, you see. 
It's the natural outflow of God's work of conversion in us. New life means new loves, love for God, and love for God's people. And Peter shows us why we do that. The exhortation to love one another is enfolded by the reasons or the grounds for the command to love one another by two perfect participles, which are phrases that refers to an action that occurred before the action or the command. The two reasons Christians are commanded to love one another genuinely are found in verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, and in verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So let's talk about both of those reasons. First, Christians loving one another is the natural result or the purpose of being born again. That's what it means, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. The original word phileo in brotherly love indicates love between Christians, particularly fundamentally between Christians, but not necessarily exclusive, of course, meaning Christians don't only love other Christians, but that Christians ought to especially love fellow believers. Now, the key phrase in helping us understand verse 22 is the phrase obedience to the truth, which means submission to the gospel. Those who have purified their souls or those who have been born again according to 1 Peter 1.3 are those who have obeyed or submitted themselves to the gospel. You'll see this idea supported numerous times, a number of times in scripture, but here's one. Romans, you could write this verse down. Romans 16 verses 25 through 26, which says this. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. Christians understand that faith, repentance, and obedience are gifts from God, as according to Ephesians 2.8, which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, but it is the gift of God. And 2 Timothy 2.25, which says that God perhaps may grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of truth. So it makes sense that the purpose of those who have been born again by our belief in the gospel, that those who have come to know the amazing, redeeming love of the Father through Christ are people who love one another sincerely and earnestly from a pure heart. This is Christianity 101, is it not? We see furthermore why Peter commands Christians ought to love fellow believers genuinely. Peter says, love is the result of God's saving work. Look at verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Not only have Christians been born again for brotherly love by our obedience to the gospel, Christians have been born again through the imperishable seed the living and abiding word of God. The idea that Christians have been born again by imperishable seed is the idea that God himself has birthed us, that he has given us new life, life that is not temporary, not perishable, but imperishable or eternal. How? How did God do this? It says right there, doesn't it? Through the living and abiding word of God. You see, we see in Genesis, God created the universe through his word. Let there be light. And it was so. 
As such, it is through God's living or life-giving word and through God's abiding or enduring word that we have been born again. That's why Peter cites Isaiah 46 through 8 and verse 24, which says, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. These words were written centuries ago in Isaiah 40, but God's words, his promises and prophecies were fulfilled in Christ Jesus, who is God's son through his life, his death and resurrection, proving that the word of the Lord does indeed remain forever, does it not? And to add to that, such a source of encouragement for elect exiles reading a Peter's letter in their day, and also for Christians today over 2,000 years later, reading the same living and enduring word of God this very day, is that these words in Isaiah 40, in fact, turn your Bibles uh, with me there really quick, Isaiah 40, and uh, I just want to say last week I choked on some water, and I see how you are. You don't even have uh, water for me today. If somebody has a bottle of water, please uh, bring it to me. Now, Isaiah 40, the passage there uh, that Peter quotes from the Old Testament in verse 24 and 25 is all about the comfort proclaimed to Israel as God will work to restore his people from their literal physical exile in Babylon. The good news for God's people mentioned in Isaiah 40, if you look at verse 9 of Isaiah 40, the reason why Zion, the people of God's kingdom, should lift up their voice with strength, lift it up and not fear, and behold, our God is because no matter how powerful and unstoppable the nations of the world may seem, no nation... No world leader, regardless of their size or strength, will be able to thwart the promises of God. Amen? The word of the Lord remains forever. Hallelujah. And Peter says at the end of verse 25, if you flip back to 1 Peter, this living and abiding word of God is indeed the good news that was preached to you. Brothers and sisters, friends and visitors, This good news is, in fact, the reason why we have gathered together today and the reason why Christians have been gathering together every Sunday since Jesus rose up from the grave. Because with our human minds, the gospel is unbelievable. It's too incredible for us to fathom, you see. It's too baffling for the human mind to have conjured it up on our own. That's why it only makes sense. It is the inspired and inerrant word of God. You see the Bible written throughout 4,000 years of human history with as many as 40 different human authors of diverse cultures and backgrounds, writing styles and genres written over three different continents. They all tell one story, all pointing to Jesus Christ, the Messiah of his life, of his death, his resurrection and ascension and return. Brothers and sisters, this is the glorious gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, it is the best news you will ever hear. It is the reason why our brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine, even as bombs and missiles are flying over their heads and blowing up in their streets, if you have seen the video, they are singing, He will hold me fast. I can never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Why? Because they hold fast to the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God who is holy, who is the creator of all things and created us for our good. But man having been tempted by Satan disobeyed God's word and rebelled against God to our eternal demise. As a result, man was separated from God, helpless to save himself from the vain and dissatisfying power and curse of sin. 
and the consequential and eventual death and judgment which followed. No matter what good works, no matter what merits man tried to accrue or achieve, the fact of the matter was we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. All of us, the Bible says, have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us righteous, not even one, not even one. No one righteous, all of us had gone astray. But God had a plan from before the foundations of the world, you see, for sinful man to know his redeeming love. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And that great salvation, brothers and sisters, is guarded by God's own power through faith, which is the means by which Christians who have heard this word can call out to God for rescue. For Scripture says, all who will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So friend, if you are here and you are not a Christian, we welcome you. We thank you so much for being here today. We've been praying for you that you would hear God's call and respond You walked into this building hoping for truth. So let me tell you some truth. God is calling on you this afternoon. He doesn't want you to live your life apart from him. He doesn't want to leave you alone in your struggles. He wants you to stop trusting in yourself. Stop trying to save yourself or work yourself to some meaningful life. Scripture teaches us in Ecclesiastes, everything under the sun is vapor. It's smoke. It's meaningless. Peter tells us it's perishable, fleeting, temporary, dissatisfying, but God, God is eternal. His promises are living and enduring, and he will enliven you and persevere you onto glory. So friend, if you are not a Christian, if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, stop trying to figure him out. Surrender to him today. Surrender to him today. Repent. Turn from your sins. That means acknowledge you need him, that your way is wrong and that his way is right. Believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again in order that you may have new life and trust him with your whole life today and tomorrow and the next day and forevermore. If you want to know how to follow Jesus, please talk to me or Pastor Jeremy or the service leader, Brandon, at the doors or talk to someone smiling next to you. Don't let this day pass by without talking to someone about how you can follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior for tomorrow. Friend, tomorrow is not guaranteed. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Make today be the day you trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Amen? Brothers and sisters in Christ, members of New Covenant Baptist Church, how are you doing? Genuinely loving one another? Has your love for the members of this body grown cold, perhaps? Something happened? Something disappointed you? And you feel misunderstood, disappointed, rejected, out of place, insignificant. Whatever your reason may be, that's okay. Christians are not immune to disappointments and discouragements. But that's why this word is for you today. Peter reminds us, having been born again by your submission to the gospel. And since you are born again through the living and abiding word of God. If indeed you are born again, love one another sincerely and earnestly. Love the person sitting next to you. Genuinely. Genuinely. If you don't know what that looks like, let Romans 12, 9, a verse that I mentioned earlier, be your guide. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. 
Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Genuine love, what does that mean? It means stopping fake. Be real. Love one another with transparency. Don't hide. Don't be a hypocrite. Be truthful. Abhor what is evil means don't allow others to continue in sin. Pray for one another regularly and purposefully that we would seek God's glory together. Hold fast to what is good means treasure the word of God together. Cherish the word of God together. Remind each other of the gospel. Continue to gather together. Uphold the church covenant together. Build this church to be a God-honoring, kingdom-advancing church together. Love one another with brotherly affection as you would love your own blood-related family. Desire the best for each other. If someone wrongs you, forgive them. See the best in them. Understand them. Be patient with them. Amen? Did you see in 1 Peter 1, 21, Peter had just spoken of faith and hope. There at the end of verse 21, well, in these verses, Peter speaks of love, doesn't he? And in another verse in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, the apostle Paul says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Earlier, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2, if I have faith that can move the mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. So brothers and sisters, how do we maintain this love? How do we continue in this love? This leads us to our next point. In part, that question is already answered by the nature of who we are as God's chosen people, as his abiding word works in us. But the next few verses shows us how we can participate in the Lord's work, what God is already doing in us. So point number two, what is the characteristic of God's chosen people? Point number two, we are a growing people according to chapter two, verses one through three. Look with me to those verses. Again, it says this. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The word so is the same word, therefore, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. And I encouraged us last week, whenever you see the word therefore, always ask, why is the word therefore? Therefore. So Peter is exhorting believers, having been begotten of God by the living and abiding word of God, lay aside everything that quenches love for one another. What is true of God's people is that we ought to be a people who are putting away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Ask yourself, how can we as believers love one another with such carnal and worldly qualities? We can't. We would expect the people of this world to be so malicious, deceitful, hypocritical, envious, and slanderous. These things destroy love. These things stifle love. They don't promote love. But God's people, God's people are benevolent, truthful, honest. We desire the good of others and we encourage one another. I want to point out the main imperative of these verses is not to put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Grammatically, again, that word put away is actually a participle that modifies the main command in verse two, long for the pure spiritual milk. So to understand these verses rightly, Peter is meaning if we are God's chosen people, 
if we are to be loving people, putting away fleshly habits and practices that hinder and stifle love as you are fighting sin and temptation actively and intentionally long for the pure spiritual milk. Lesson for anyone here who is struggling and wondering why they feel so distant from God or feel like they are hindered in worship. Perhaps you're asking yourself why you are having a hard time on a daily basis reading God's word or praying or genuinely fellowshipping with brothers and sisters, why you don't desire God and the things of God. Is it perhaps because you are not actively fighting or putting off these things which easily entangles and ensnares you away from God? Makes sense, doesn't it? Your spiritual life is in the dumps because you keep covering yourself with dump. This is what Paul meant in Philippians 3.8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as garbage, as dung in order that I may gain Christ. So brothers and sisters, how are you doing? Laying aside every weight and sin which clings so closely you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses according to Hebrews 12.1. So dear brother, I am talking to you. Live in deceit and hypocrisy no more. Lay aside pornography. Lay aside that ungodly relationship if indeed you have tasted and seen that he is good. Dear sister, put aside malice and envy and slander this moment. Put aside gossip and self-righteousness or self-validation or insecurities this moment and long for the pure spiritual milk of God, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Peter is exhorting believers that sin is to be rejected comprehensively, that it ought not to be tolerated within the local church community. Allowing somebody to continue in their sin is not love. That's hatred. That's spiritual murder. Of course, we need patience. We need gentleness and wisdom and carefulness. That's why a biblical local church exercises church discipline according to Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. But that's another sermon for another Sunday. Look forward to it in part two of our Rediscover Church series in the fall. But back to the main point of these verses. Put aside these distractions. Put aside these distractions as you are doing that. What is the pure spiritual milk then we Christians ought to long for that we may grow up into salvation? into mature faith, into enduring faith, into full and final salvation. What is that pure spiritual milk? Two adjectives describe the milk we ought to long for. Pure and spiritual. Pure meaning unadulterated or uncontaminated. Have you ever tasted rotten milk? Don't long for that. Long for fresh milk, pure milk. The word spiritual in its original meaning referred to something reasonable or rational in this context. And simply what Peter was trying to convey by describing milk as uncontaminated and reasonable is to equate it with the word of God, which believers ought to long for. Makes sense, doesn't it? Christians who have been begotten by God's imperishable word, who are endured and persevered by God's living and enduring abiding word forever will grow only, will grow only through nothing other than the very word of God. In Peter's sense and use of the language, unlike Paul, 1 Corinthians 3, Peter is not using pure spiritual milk to refer to infant young Christians. Peter is exhorting us to the posture of how elect exiles, holy and chosen unto the Lord, ought to crave God's life-giving, love-inspiring word. So what does that look like? 
Have you ever seen a baby who wants milk early in the morning? Okay, my two little boys, they're five and two, and it's still embarrassing to say, but they must have milk every morning, and it has to be warmed up just right, 31 seconds in the microwave. And I tell you, they teach me about how to crave for milk of God's word. They get this Hulk-like fury when they don't have milk in the morning. Mom, milk, milk. It just goes, it's crazy. Give me milk until their little tummies are satisfied. They turn into little Hulk monsters until they are filled with milk. What if we, like little infants, like little toddlers, also longed for God's word as such daily in the same way? Peter quotes Psalm 34, verse 9 in 1 Peter 2, verse 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. There's so much meaning and depth of why Peter quotes Psalm 34, which I can't address everything right now. I encourage you to meditate on Psalm 34 this evening or sometime this week and feast in the promises of God's living and abiding word in Jesus Christ through all that is going on. But the bottom line is, as Dr. Tom Schreiner says in his commentary, the evidence that one has been begotten by the Father through the word is that believers continue to long for that word and become increasingly mature unto final salvation. The evidence that you are truly a Christian is that you long for God's word and grow increasingly mature unto final salvation. In other words, it is the word of God that will grow us and persevere us to eschatological salvation, to final salvation. So brothers and sisters, friends and visitors, as such, if you never desire to read God's word or it's been a really long dry spell, examine your hearts this afternoon. Do you have unrepentant sin in your life? Even as you're hearing this word, you are so deaf and mute to the word that are being preached right now. You're distracted. You're looking at your phone. You're looking at everything else, thinking about everything else, but the word of God, I want to ask you, examine your life. Do you have unrepentant sin in your life? And more importantly, have you really truly tasted that the Lord is good? In other words, have you been born again by God's word? Well, why should Christians seek to grow spiritually? Point number three, third characteristic of God's chosen people. We are Christ-like people. We are Christ-like people from verses four and five. Why should Christians seek spiritual growth? Look at me to verse four. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. As the Christian, as a Christian continues to come to him, putting aside all that hinders and longing for the pure spiritual milk of God's word, Peter teaches us that there is a purpose. There is a reason for our growth. The living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. That verse is a reference to Psalm 118.22. It's the same verse that Peter appealed to in Acts 4, 11, to refer to Christ's death and resurrection and exaltation. And so what Peter is doing here is he is reaffirming Christ was the living stone rejected by men, but also the chosen and precious son of God, foreknown before the foundations of the world, made manifest for our sake. And this incredible truth in verse 5, which we can just end the sermon right here in praise and awe of this profound reality. Look at verse 5. You yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
Peter says, we, the chosen people of God, like Christ, the living stone, we have become like him. And we are being built up as a spiritual house. You see, we as God's people in Christ have become the very building blocks to build God's house. Where in the past, in Israel's history, only a set-apart temple, God's people can approach God and worship God through the mediation of select priests of God. In Christ, our ultimate and final mediator, who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We, the chosen pilgrims of God, scattered throughout the generations, have become a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. No longer are priests required to offer sacrifices. No longer are animal or grain offerings required. Every single born-again believer, son and daughter of God, are holy priests before God, whom God welcomes as we offer our lives as spiritual sacrifices to live for him, to glorify him, to proclaim him as the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the reason why no minister of the gospel, no pastors ought to be called priests. Pastors do not function as the mediator between church members and God. Pastors lead, shepherd, and guide through preaching and teaching and through God's word. But no church member should be confessing sins through a human mediator. In Christ, the ultimate mediator, every single Christian is a holy priest. Every born-again believer can approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need, according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Furthermore, by this reality, there is no need to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, you see. And as such, blind support for the nation of Israel in all things political, especially as Bible-believing Christians in many ways are misguided. The new temple of God has already found its fulfillment in Christ and the church as according to Hebrews 12, verses 18 through 29. And as 1 Peter 2, 5 teaches us, we, the people of God, are being built up as a spiritual house through Jesus Christ. So let it be made clear for anyone claiming to be God's chosen people. If Christ is not central in your faith, in your theology, in your lives, they are proclaiming false truths. You can't say, I am chosen of God and not be Christ-centered. Because as Acts 17, 28 says, for in him we live and move and have our being. Amen? Amen. Brothers and sisters, is Christ central in your lives? Our next point helps us to examine our lives. What is the characteristic of a chosen people of God? Point number four, we are a humbly obedient people. We are a humbly obedient people as according to verses six through eight. Look with me to those verses there. It says this. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Wow, Peter is so rich with his biblical theology. Every word that Peter pens is so full of meaning and a mind for expository excavation. I could probably spend several sermons on each of these verses alone, but I want to point you to the main point of these verses. A chosen people of God who are Christ-like people, Christ-centered people, are a humbly obedient people. Christ-centered chosen people of God are humbly obedient people people. In verse 6, Peter references Isaiah 28, 16, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers and sisters, what truth to cling to this week? 
For those of us who trust in Christ through fiery trials, sorrows, and afflictions, we will not be disappointed at the end of days when Christ returns and we are reunited with him physically and spiritually. Mark that. Note that. We will not be disappointed. We will not be disappointed. Our confidence in our eschatology, our theology of the end, most specifically that Christ is the ultimate victor, that those whom he saves will persevere to the end, that we will be one with him is the reason we can endure through present trials. It's the reason why we can fight temptations now and lay aside all distractions and hindrances. It's the reason why we hope in a hostile world. It's the reason why Ukrainian Christians can cling to Christ in the midst of a war. It's the reason why we endure with patience and gentleness. It's the reason why we can accept big or small losses and rejections on earth because this earth is not our home. Christ is our home. Verse 7 says, so the honor is for you. Who believe the honor in this verse of course means our final vindication right now we cling on by faith we hope with certainty nevertheless on that day our faith our faith will turn to sight we will behold him with our own physical eyes and it will be glorious it will be awesome it will be amazing when all of our longings and our desires and our lack will be fulfilled in Christ Jesus our Lord That's why we hope. That's why we obey. Because Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commands. If you love me, obey my commands. But lest we think any of this is because of us, or in case we boast, as humans often do, we are so quick to forget that our privileged position in Christ has nothing to do with us, but everything to do with Christ's election, these verses soberly reminds us, doesn't it? At the end of verse 7 and through verse 8, But for those who do not believe, they stumble because they disobey the word. And something very controversial, Peter drops the mic on us with that last phrase. And without a right understanding of scripture, this can seem very divisive and and shocking and surprising. It says at the end of verse, Peter says, those who do not believe stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. There ought to be no surprises here, brothers and sisters. Those who reject God's antidote, God's answer for God's wrath, they will stumble, they will fall, they will not prosper, they will feel the wrath of God every single day of their lives because death and wrath of God is literally looming over their heads according to scripture. They will be judged rightly and justly for all of their deeds. They think they're getting away, but God is an impartial judge. Scripture says the guilty will be punished. Whether you're a believer or not, you will be judged according to your deeds. They will not get away. But the difficulty is that final phrase, isn't it? As they were destined to do. As they were destined to do. Many of you know when my father passed away with a terrible form of cancer almost three years ago, the most difficult thing for me to grasp as he was suffering so much physically, wasting away, into skin and bones, gasping for air for the last 10 days in his deathbed. The most hardest thing for me to grasp was that the suffering he experienced in a life apart from God on earth and the physical suffering that he was experiencing as cancer was eating away, literally eating away his body, those sufferings were not the worst sufferings he would face. It was a worse and eternal suffering in hell that was coming upon him because he continually, knowingly, and consciously rejected God's son. He rejected Christ, 
how I pled for his soul, how I pled for him to believe, but in the end, he refused. Now, I know that while my earthly father wasn't a very good father, when it comes down to it, it's this. I know my heavenly father is all benevolent and sovereign. Simply, he is God and I am not. I know my heavenly father's character through his word. God is love, the Bible says. God is just, the Bible says. God is merciful. God is compassionate and gracious for all generations, and I trust in him. But if the thought that God destines people to eternal judgment bothers you, and you are sitting here bitter and upset at God, there is something that you can do. There is something that I was so awakened to do more urgently something that the scripture commands all the chosen people of God to participate in. Fifth and finally, what is the characteristic of God's chosen people? Fifth and finally, we are gospel proclaiming people. Verse 9 through 10. Look with me briefly to verse 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter reminds us again as a summary who we are because of who he is. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And you notice the central point of these verses is found right there in the center, don't you? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen? Brothers and sisters, we have a purpose in this life. We have a responsibility in this life. If you are the chosen people of God, we proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. God's chosen people are a loving people, a growing people, Christ-like people, humbly obedient people, and gospel-proclaiming people. Let's be this together for God's glory, by his mercy, by his power. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this afternoon reminded of the holy and honored privilege that we are your people. By your living and abiding word, by your imperishable seed, we've been made new to experience this new life. But not only to just enjoy that privilege, there's so many blessings that are involved in being a Christian. But Father, you called us from darkness into marvelous light as a humbly obedient people to proclaim your excellencies. Help us to put aside all sin and all malice and all evil and envy that hinders us. Help us to long for the pure spiritual milk. Help us to grow in your word. Help this church to be embedded and founded and grounded upon your word. And through your word, persevere us to the end. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.